0: Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays at DocWashburnShow.com. Minutes, minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and on Facebook. And you can email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com. This is the 83rd episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. Coming up in just a moment, we have scheduled one of the most important authors of our time who takes a clear-eyed look at what we're up against as a country. But first, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer... Oh, there it is. Okay, very good. Uh, No, my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio. And, yes, yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. And, yes, we must keep the January 6th political prisoners in our prayers. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. I'm scheduled to appear at the Saline County Republican Women's Club, 125 North Market Street in Benton, Arkansas, this evening at 6, so if you're in the area, I hope you'll join us. Peter Schweizer is a six-time New York Times bestselling author, the author of the number one New York Times bestselling books, Secret Empires, and Profiles in Corruption, and the president of the Government Accountability Institute, whose stated mission is to investigate and expose crony capitalism, the misuse of taxpayer monies, and other governmental corruption or malfeasance. His books have been translated into 11 languages and include several New York Times or Washington Post bestsellers. Clinton Cash, the untold story of how and why foreign governments and businesses helped make Bill and Hillary rich, became a New York Times bestseller and spurred independent reporting by multiple mainstream media outlets. Peter Schweizer is the author of the book, Extortion, How Politicians Extract Your Money, Buy Votes, and Line Their Own Pockets. Both Extortion and his previous book, Throw Them All Out, were New York Times bestsellers and were featured on CBS 60 Minutes. Peter Schweitzer's articles have appeared in Foreign Affairs, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, National Review, and elsewhere. His new book is called Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Peter Schweizer says that in his quarter century as an investigative journalist, his new book is the scariest investigation he has ever conducted. Nevertheless, if you're like me and you're sometimes tempted to despair when you consider the corruption in our government and business world, at least be thankful there are men in this world like Peter Schweizer who are trying to do something about it. Mr. Schweitzer, thank you so much for coming on the Doc Watchman Show today. How are you? I'm great, Doc. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Now, you've written some remarkable books that tell harrowing tales. What is it that makes your new book the scariest yet?
1: Uh, It's the sort of breadth and depth of the the corruption we're talking about. Um, What I really wanted to look at is who is getting paid in the United States to help China win in their race against us. Uh, And what I found was, you know, the biggest names on Wall Street, the biggest names in Silicon Valley, and the biggest names in Washington, D.C. from both political parties uh, all have, to varying degrees, sweetheart deals with China, which have enriched them. And in exchange, they are providing, in some cases, material support to the Chinese military and intelligence apparatus, or they're providing political interference by by turning away uh, from the things that China is doing.
0: Now I think back to the uh, election of 1996, and Al Gore going to the uh, some kind of Chinese temple in L.A. and uh, collecting money, and uh, Bill Clinton um, basically taking off safeguards against us selling. Uh, sensitive missile technology, the Chinese, so they could start getting their missiles off the launching pad. And when Al Gore was asked about it, he said, well, there's actually no uh, controlling legal authority. In other words, (laughs) who's going to do anything to me? And it it, it seems that, you know, in, in your description just now, a lot of these people on both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, are bound to be breaking major laws and uh, I'm sorry I'm not trying to write a book before I get to my question but I recall when Mike Pompeo had a group of governors of, of, of both parties and he said the Chinese communist government has a list of governors who are friendly to them, governors who are not friendly to them, governors in the middle kind of ambivalent, he said and, and I know uh, which column each one of you guys is in Um uh, this has been going on for years. Why hasn't there been some sorts of criminal investigations to try to hold some of these people accountable?
1: Well, I think it's a great question. I mean, there there are investigations ongoing that we know about. Uh, I have a chapter in the book about uh, the Biden family. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what I point out in the book is that uh, the Bidens have received some $31 million from Chinese businessmen, and each and every one of those businessmen is linked to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. Uh, we know that um, this has been the subject of a federal grand jury uh, going back to 2018. It's still ongoing. Now, that's four years in the making, so you wonder why it's going so slow. Uh, and we also know that there have been other concurrent investigations, uh, but it's very hard to get... Uh, these bureaucrats, uh, and prosecutors at DOJ to go after their favored political figures. Um, you know, in other words, they were, they were very happy to participate in, uh, uh, you know, proceedings related to Donald Trump. Uh, but when it comes to Joe Biden, they're less so. I think the solution here really resides in if the Republicans retake the House and the Senate, Uh, We need, uh, particularly on the House side, an investigation. They've got subpoena powers where we get to the bottom of this and expose to the American people what's going on. Uh, The question of prosecution is a separate one, but we can't allow ourselves to get so frustrated and discouraged by the fact that um, justice is not being done, because if we do, we'll become immobilized by it, and we'll, we'll stop exposing this stuff. And that's exactly what they want us to do.
0: And I think, I think that's the concern that a lot of us have, especially after the, uh, you know, all the insanity that went on in the uh, 2020 election. A lot of people, I think are demoralized Um, in the fall of 2020. President Trump said that if somehow Joe Biden were allowed to take up residence in the white house, China would take over the United States of America. Now, You mentioned the the chapter about the Bidens. What did your research turn up about not just Hunter, but Joe Biden's relationship with the communist Chinese government?
1: Well, yeah, a couple of things. First of all, uh, Hunter Biden is the one that did these deals, but it's very clear that uh, Hunter Biden has been subsidizing his father's lifestyle. He he pays, when he was vice president of the United States, he paid his bills. Uh, he, um, paid for renovations on the Biden family home in Delaware. There's probably, uh, more that we didn't uncover, but tens of thousands of dollars, uh, was, was done in that way. Um, and that's patently illegal. I mean, you're not allowed to do that as a politician, um, have family members subsidize your lifestyle. The question becomes, what is China getting in return? And what people have to understand is that the Chinese are very sophisticated about this. They, they don't expect a politician to robotically um, just praise them all the time. What they're looking for is loosely, loosely translated into the English. Uh, What they're looking for is big help with a little bad mouth. Yeah. In other words, they don't mind if Joe Biden says things about the Uyghurs. What they are concerned about is the things that matter most to them, which is unfettered access to Western capital markets and unfettered access to our technology. And as long as a leader provides that to them, they are very, very happy to continue to do business with that family. And we have to recognize that the the you know the Chinese government has leverage over the Biden family. Uh, when Hunter Biden was doing these deals, he took the extraordinary step of going to the Secret Service and saying, I don't want you traveling with me when I go to China. Um, that kind of stuff should be setting off red flags and needs to be investigated. Because I'm old enough to remember the Cold War, uh, Doc, and could you imagine if the Carter or Reagan family had done deals with Russian businessmen linked to the KGB? Yeah. There'd be alarm bells going off all around Washington, D.C. That's what the Biden family has done.
0: Yeah, and um, a lot of us have seen, shortly before the 2020 election, Uh, videos uh, of Hunter Biden in very compromising situations, uh, to put it diplomatically. Uh, So the idea that the uh, communist Chinese government is blackmailing the the Bidens is not far-fetched at all.
1: Right. They, they, They have leverage over them. I'm sure that the prospects of more money in the future has been dangled to the family, and Hunter is the one that went to China, met with these businessmen, and they were linked to Chinese intelligence, and, and secured the deals. But the money washes through the family. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Biden pays his father bills. He pays bills for other people in the family. Uh, we know of $2 million that went to James Biden, Joe Biden's brother. So this is a family enterprise. Um, as much as some of the Biden defenders want to say, This is a Hunter Biden problem. It's not. It's a larger problem with the family. And Beijing has leverage over this family, and they use leverage when they have it.
0: Absolutely. We're speaking with Peter Schweizer, author of the alarming new book, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. And he has mentioned already in this interview, uh, this, this isn't just Democrats, guys. It's not just Democrats. It's both sides of the aisle. Mr. Schweizer, your book goes into great detail about the long-term relationships the families of Senator Diane Feinstein, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and former Speaker John Boehner have with entities of the Chinese Communist Party. In the same world, and I hate to repeat myself, but in the same world, wouldn't some of these politicians have long ago been under indictment?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely, um, shocking to me that this has gone, uh, largely unreported on and unnoticed. Part of the reason is the Chinese have been very shrewd about this. Um, they, they don't link themselves to one political party. You remember you mentioned uh, the 1996 election and the. Yeah fundraising scandal involving uh, uh, the Clinton administration and the Chinese uh, money that was finding its way to the campaign, uh, they've gotten a lot smarter. So they operate now on a bipartisan basis. And part of the problem is, is does Mitch McConnell, the Senate leader uh, for the Republicans, really want to have a conversation about the Biden's family's ties to Beijing? Uh, he doesn't because his family has their own ties. Uh, the family shipping company, which is called Foremost it has done enormous deals with Beijing over the years. It's a shipping company. All the ships are built by the Chinese government. The construction is financed by the Chinese government. The crews are provided by the Chinese government. Many of the contracts for the ship, uh, ships, goods that they ship around the region are provided by the Chinese government. The bottom line is they could destroy Mitch McConnell, Elaine Chow's family business overnight if Mitch McConnell were to do something that they didn't like. And that's leverage, and that's exactly where they want political leaders in this country, and that's exactly where they have too many of them.
0: You know, there was a philosophy when President Nixon first went over and and met with the communist Chinese, and and people were like, well, you know, it it took a Republican to, to, to do this. But there was a philosophy that if we can open up the Chinese market then uh, they will inexorably, gradually, slowly perhaps, but inexorably move towards not only free markets economically, but political freedom, uh, and it will be a good thing for world peace. And I'm wondering what happened to that because it seems that we've gone in an opposite direction whereby a lot of the business institutions in our country – are acting more totalitarian instead of us rubbing off on china they're rubbing off on us
1: i think you're exactly right i mean look this was the great consensus point whether it was bill clinton george w bush the obama administration they all said that this would happen. If we give them access to our capital, if we give them access to our technology, they're going to start wearing blue jeans, listening to our music, and they will become just like us. In fact, the opposite has happened. The Chinese government is far more repressive now, I would argue, than they were 20 years ago. And uh they're richer. And so they're bolder in challenging the United States. Uh, and that's a problem. And so when you look at who were the people that were steering the the ship of state and guiding us in this way. Uh, not only were they wrong, a lot of them were wrong, but actually got paid. They, they got consulting contracts to do business in China. They represented Chinese state interests in the United States. This is the inherent problem. Our leadership class was wrong. It was Republicans and Democrats. But not only were they wrong, many of them were bought off, and there's been no accounting, no reckoning for that. Uh, and so today, if you you know look at cable news, you might see you know a Henry Kissinger or a Madeleine Albright or a Bill Cohen or another uh, foreign policy expert, former Secretary of Defense or Secretary of State, going on television telling us how to deal with China, yeah. and it's never revealed to the audience that they all have consulting arrangements or businesses that require them to be on good terms with the Chinese regime. And so there's only limited amounts of what they can actually say or do or they put their own business at risk.
0: Well, I knew Henry Kissinger and LeBron James had something in common, but it took you to explain what it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, it hasn't been that long ago that uh, a general manager of an NBA team um uh, Spoke out just—I think—a one-sentence tweet about standing with the the Hong Kong protesters, and all of a sudden, King James, LeBron James, is just freaking out and saying people don't understand, uh, and and he needs to do his his uh, his homework, and you know the it's not that bad, and and you're looking and saying, well, you're making millions and millions off the Uyghurs, which which brings us to this question: Communist China has a record of horrifying human rights abuses, including genocide, going back over seven decades. Uh, and yeah. not, not just the genocide against the Uyghurs, but for so many years, the one-child policy uh, where they had this idea of, you know, we got to stop the population explosion. So, um, you know, if, if you get pregnant a second time, then we're going to abort your baby whether you want or not. And... The, the, the mystifying thing, I think, for a lot of people of all different political stripes, whether liberal or conservative in this country, is why are American big tech and Wall Street so enamored with this brutal regime?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I, and, you know, it's hard to know exactly what one's motives uh, might be, but I think there are a couple of obvious answers. One is obviously money. Right, yeah. They see this massive market, uh, and in China, the way you do business, you don't need to go in and necessarily compete on a contract and be the best at performing the job or providing the service. You just need to be in with the political regime, and they will make the deals happen. So part of it is money. But then you have to look at a guy like Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg and say these guys are worth tens of billions of dollars. Uh, do they really need more money? Do they really desire more money? So you have to entertain the idea that there might be other motives. And I think one of those motives is a lot of these people on Wall Street and Silicon Valley are enamored with the efficiency, as they put it, of the Chinese dictatorial regime. Now dictatorships have that advantage, right? They can be very efficient because if you want to build a factory somewhere Uh, You don't have to worry about zoning laws. You don't have to worry about uh, labor laws, environmental laws. You just say, build the factory. And that's exactly what uh, Elon Musk had done uh, for Tesla. And he talks about how efficient the Chinese government is at getting things done. So, to me, it's a combination of things. Money is a motivating factor, but there's no question that some of these have a regime envy. They, they like the autocratic nature of the Chinese model. They think it's better than our sort of messy representative form of government. Uh, and that, to me, is in a way an even more serious problem, uh, because now you've got people who actually like this form of governance that is so antithetical to our own.
0: Yeah, I spoke to an epidemiologist a couple of years ago as the uh, COVID-19 outbreak was, was starting. And this, uh, this person, this epidemiologist, very well educated uh, and, and, and keeping track of, of COVID in the early days, uh, was frustrated that our own president, Donald J. Trump, wasn't coming down with a heavier hand And, uh, look to the Chinese communist model of being able to get things done. And this was someone who, you know, maybe a few months earlier might've called Trump a dictator or a fascist or whatever. And I said to this person, it sounds like what you want is a dictator. What you want is, is a fascist. And, um, and that's just not going to be a good thing. Um, have have you have you reflected in the last couple of years of insanity that we have gone through uh with this virus which probably did come from that virology lab in Wuhan and probably despite Anthony Fauci lying under oath uh we even funded the gain of function research uh in that so many so many uh, Uh, Movers and shakers, so many um, of our elite want more government power here in the U.S. uh, and and look to China as a model.
1: Yeah, it is uh, is remarkable um, when you look at the world today, how many people in the United States think think things in China are so much better. I mean, the reason things seem so efficient and so much more effective in China is, first of all, it's a dictatorship. And we always need to remember, as Thomas Jefferson warned us, to the extent that government can do something for you, it can do something to you. Yeah. So just because you think it's great that they can lock down a country uh, because of a virus, Remember, they can then lock down a country because they don't like a protest or they don't like something else that you might be doing. But the, I think the second thing we have to factor in is that the Chinese government hides so much. We have a free press, so when our government is messy, when our government makes a mistake, when when dumb things happen, when there's partisan fighting and it seems like things are gridlocked, that's kind of the way our system was designed to be. The founders, I think, in their wisdom wanted slow change rather than, you know, very quick change. Uh, but also there's a lot of messiness and corruption and terrible uh, behavior by the leaders of China. We just don't hear about them because they're covered up. Yeah. Uh, and for the life of me, I don't understand why smart people like obviously a lot of people on Wall Street and Silicon Valley are don't understand that uh, they, they it's, it's hubris. A lot of them have, have successfully built these massively successful companies so they believe in sort of the great man or great woman theory of how things get done. The problem is that's a very dangerous game to be played. And I think a lot of the examples that I have in red handed speak to that.
0: Yeah. And you, you alluded to um, an earlier age uh, in which some of our enemies were saying the, the, the U S will sell us the rope that we use to hang them. Um, and, and that, that, that seems to be something that we just don't learn from our history. So you, you mentioned um, that at least one grand jury was looking into uh, official U.S. corruption vis-a-vis um, relationships with the Chinese Communist Party going back to 2018. Um, I think the concern is that uh, with the, the the changing of the guard from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, would that grand jury really be allowed to, to go anywhere four years later. And I guess the, the big question is, and I think you get to this in the, uh, the last chapter of your book, what can we do to bring our country out from under the, the domination of this uh, autocratic regime, communist China?
1: Well, there are a couple of things that we can specifically do. One uh, that I encourage people to do is not buy products from China. Uh, especially uh, electronics or more sophisticated products because those are produced by companies that often are tied to the CCP and they are very likely engaging in developing products uh, for the Chinese military. Yeah. So we are subsidizing them. Second thing is look at your investment portfolio. You might be in mutual funds like a emerging markets mutual fund or an Asia market fund. Uh, it could be 30% of that money or more is actually invested in Chinese uh, companies. Uh, so again, you are directly or indirectly subsidizing our competitor. Uh, that's something you can do on a very practical level. The other thing I encourage people to do is let your political leaders know that these issues matter to you. Uh, a lot of people don't think that elected officials care or pay attention, uh, they actually do because, believe it or not, they want to be reelected. And if people are prepared to make a stink about something, uh, oftentimes politicians uh, don't have much courage in their convictions, uh, and they will go along sometimes kicking and screaming if they have to. So there are other policy prescriptions that I have in the book that I think we need to do at a national level certain things we need to ban and outlaw, Uh, but that's only going to happen if we get people in office who actually want to pursue these things. And I do believe that if the Republicans retake the house, we have a real opportunity to not only get to the bottom of the Biden's commercial ties to China, but we also have an opportunity to make some real progress on these broader issues that affect both political parties.
0: Well, I sure hope you're right. Uh, Our guest is Peter Schweizer. He is the number one New York times bestselling author of Profiles in Corruption, and Clinton Cash. Uh, you might remember both of those books. The new book is called Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. On the cover of the book, we have not only pictures of John Boehner, Elon Musk, Nancy Pelosi, uh, LeBron James, uh, Bill Gates, Henry Kissinger, but the big picture of Joe Biden smiling, shaking hands with the head of this uh Horrible uh, Autocratic Regime, uh, Communist China, Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, Peter Schweizer. Of course, the books are available everywhere. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the Doc Washburn Show. We appreciate all that you do to try to save this great country. Thank you, Doc. It's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Wow. You know, um... I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful that when uh, God closed the one door of me doing local talk radio, he opened this door, and I try to get the, uh, the truth out to you. I don't ever want you to say, Doc, why didn't you warn us? I try to get the truth out to you. And I'm also thankful for our, uh, our sponsors who make it possible us to do this thing who make it possible for me five days a week most people do a podcast two or three days a week but our sponsors make it possible for us to do a live stream five days a week at noon eastern which then becomes a podcast after we wrap it up each day and the uh, the hope is that eventually we'll figure out, because we have a lot of people listening to podcast after the fact, but the hope is that eventually we will actually compete with live talk radio at noon Eastern. And we'll see about that. We'll see, we'll see about that. Because God is blessing the podcast and we hope at some point he will be blessing the uh, the live stream also. I even talked to uh, Dan Bongino about that a little while back because I feel a great sense of loyalty to Brother Bongino. And I said, look, I don't ever want you to feel like that I'm being disloyal to you because you have helped me so much and have been there for me in, in my hour of need. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, you go for it, man. You go for it. You do whatever you can to uh, boost your live audience at noon Eastern. And, and I'll cheer you along and say, wow, what a guy, what a guy. So what, a, what a guy are, our, our our sponsors are too. I want to tell you about a couple of them real quick. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for anywhere close to where you live. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. The freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you live anywhere in the continental United States. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River Your Way. Their experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Now, Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection... You'll see each vehicle has a button that has the words on it, Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com, and you'll be glad you did. All right, let me mention one more before we get to uh, more content. And again, we fight back against government domination, don't we? We fight back against stuff like Obamacare. They lied to us. They called it the Affordable Care Act. Well, let me ask you something. Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answered yes, any of those questions... You need to go to a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you go to MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you'll see the big bold letters affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co and then the big red button schedule call now. When you click that button, You get a free consultation with my buddy Art Wilborn who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. He also makes sure that unlike a lot of those Obamacare plans, you get a personalized health coverage plan that doesn't force you to cover stuff like abortion that would violate your deeply held religious beliefs. Again, it's MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Affordable plans save 30 to 50% on premiums personalized health coverage low to no deductible no copays just click the button schedule call now and art Wilborn, my buddy will make sure there're no gaps in your coverage save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com you'll be glad you did all right it's you know it's it's always so much fun it's always so much fun Getting a chance to uh, to interview these these great authors of these great books. All right, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Jenna Ellis was a uh, a leading attorney for President Donald J. Trump, and this morning, early this morning, she released a uh, a statement regarding production of documents to the January 6th Select Committee. Here's what she said. At President Trump's direction, I have produced over 9,000 pages of documents to the January 6th Select Committee that, in part, provided the legal basis and evidence for Team Trump's post-election challenges. The media continues to contend... That the president's challenges were baseless, which is totally false. While no judicial forum, including the Supreme Court, allowed us to produce these documents or witnesses and refused to hear our cases on the merits, this file is now in the permanent congressional record. You know, and I go back, I go back to a statement that a friend of mine made, an attorney named Joe Churchwell out of Hot Springs, Arkansas. And he was talking about the fact that state legislatures, and of course also Congress, pass laws mandating what the government shall do. Okay? But Joe Churchwell's question was, what is the remedy if the government doesn't follow its own laws? What is the remedy if the government commits an infraction of a law that it passed? So in other words, if there are no teeth... If there's no criminal penalty for breaking that law, then what good is it? What good is it? And this is one of the things that we we run up against on a regular basis. I mean there are state laws. In a number of states, probably all states, for instance, that your child welfare, your child protection service, or division of children and family services, or whatever it's called in your state, can't just waltz into someone's home without a warrant. But that law is broken with impunity on a regular basis because parents don't know their legal rights. And they let in these government bureaucrats who take children away from parents who love them. And and the parents are distraught. They don't know their legal rights. They don't know they didn't have to let these people in the house in the first place. All right? So... Uh, How do we hold government employees accountable? January sixth, twenty twenty one is is another is another example. There are Capitol Hill police beating people mercilessly, who are not fighting back. Okay, and. They're 14,000 hours of closed-circuit security camera video that the Capitol Police, who work at the pleasure of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, are refusing to release, even to criminal defendants. Criminal defendants who are charged with nonviolent misdemeanors with no criminal record some of whom are still being held without bail over a year later haven't been uh, convicted of anything. This is a uh, it's a real problem. A real problem. How do we hold our uh our government employees, our bureaucrats, accountable when they break the law. Anyway, I, I just thought i just thought I should throw that out there because it's uh it's a problem that is that seems to be forever with us. Now there is a uh, a health expert with CNN, Dr. Leanna Wynn. She used to be the head of Planned Parenthood, so of course, who better to opine on health related matters than a woman who was in charge of the biggest abortion provider in the country? And yet, and yet, she is the medical analyst, the go-to health person for CNN. And uh, she's saying the science has changed on mask mandates. And I'm thinking, yeah, the political science, your polls are down the tubes. See, I'm reminded, I'm reminded early on in the, um, in the Wu flu, in the China virus situation. Spring of 2020, Dr. Anthony Fauci saying, no, don't wear masks. That doesn't help. It's just theater. And then a few months later, oh, everybody's like uh, Fauci and everybody else. Oh, yeah, you got to wear a mask. And I had a guest on. I had the chief epidemiologist of the Arkansas State Health Department. And I said, what changed? Oh, we've learned so much. But she didn't tell me what they'd learned. And Fauci, you know, had been in charge of the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases for 35 years. Like, Like, after 35 years, he needed to learn something about a piece of cloth over your face. That in cold weather, standing outside, you can see the breath coming out either side, above and below. We've been playing pretend with masks. Some people still are, and it hurts my heart to go to the grocery store and see people getting in their cars by themselves wearing masks. It hurts my heart to see people walking down a public sidewalk by themselves wearing masks because they're afraid. They've been terrorized. They've been propagandized. God doesn't bring a spirit of fear. Anyway, uh, let's hear what uh, Dr. Leanna Wynn, former head of Planned Parenthood, and now CNN's resident medical advisor, has to say about how the science has changed on mandatory mask mandates.
2: Do you agree with the move?
3: I do there was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions but when they were put in it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can and in this case circumstances have changed case counts are declining also the science has changed we know that vaccines protect very well against omicron which is the dominant variant everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines and we also know about one way masking the idea that even if other people are you are not wearing masks if you wear a high quality mask that also protects you the wearer too and so in this case i'm not saying i don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district of the school rather it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family who can still decide that their child can wear a mask if needed
4: um you know take new jersey the case in new jersey for instance Their new case average is just over 4,000. Is that an acceptable number to do this, or, or, or are they projecting out to March 7th at this point?
3: I don't think we should be looking at case counts at all at this point, especially when we're dealing with a milder variant and when so many people were exposed to Omicron and therefore have, have have at least some level of protection either through vaccination or immunity. The key number that we should be looking at is hospitalizations. If our ICUs and hospitals in that particular region are not overwhelmed, if they're not over capacity, we can set a number, for example, 75% or 80% full, then we should be able to relax all restrictions And I actually believe that we should be starting to, with the first restriction removed, should actually be the restriction on children. Because while for adults, you could say, well, what's the harm of adults masking when they go into a grocery store? There actually is a harm that we should be discussing of children continuing to mask. That doesn't mean that masking doesn't have its place for children when there are very high rates of hospitalization. If we get a new variant in the future that children are particularly susceptible to, we may want to bring masks back. But we should also be in a Intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost especially for the youngest learners in uh, people with english as a second language children with learning disabilities there has been a cost to them so the risk benefit calculation has really changed
0: okay wait we should be intellectually honest and say that uh, there's been a cost for young children having to wear masks all day really but we could bring them back at some point. Really. That's, uh, that's remarkable. Making a child wear a mask is child abuse. It's child abuse. No ifs, ands, or buts. You know it. I know it. But again, sometimes I feel like a, a voice crying in the wilderness. Do you agree I'm with trying the, to get the Trying to get the truth out. No, no, no. I'm not going to play that again. I'm not going to play that again. Now, we have an energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm. She used to be the, uh, the governor of Michigan. The governor of Michigan. And she thinks that solar panels will bring about world peace. Have you heard about this? Oh, yeah. She's a peach. She's a real prize.
2: How we leverage this relationship on energy matters, Uh, clean energy matters uh, specifically. So this ministerial arrives at a unique and a timely moment for all of us. Obviously, high energy prices have been putting a strain on households on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, Europe, you have seen prices go through the roof. Uh, Of course, tensions between Russia and Ukraine uh, pose threats to the energy security of the the European Union and our friends and partners. And all of this, to your point, underscores the benefits of clean energy. I was... um, uh, at a minister last week and the, um, my counterpart in Ireland, Minister, uh, Ryan said words that I thought were very interesting. No country has been held hostage to access to the sun. No country has been hostage to the wind. This is not just an energy and climate issue. It also is potentially the greatest peace plan that ever existed to be able to build out energy independence from clean energy.
0: Okay. Solar panels are going to bring peace. That's, I mean, and, and nobody, nobody is going to say, hey, that's stupid. Why? Because she is a cabinet member of a Democrat administration. That's why. That's why. Now, I I, want to share with you something that, um, that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is out there saying because he has been on the forefront of trying to warn people about the dangers of these China virus vaccines. Here he is.
3: Mr. Kennedy, many of the parents later regret having their children and adolescents vaccinated, and we we, we see, like you said, so many uh, children get injured and ev- even die. But at the same time, we know that parents cannot seek seek for any justice for for what what is happening because the vaccine manufacturers are completely uh, shielded by the federal government from any liability. Uh, do you believe that this law should be overturned, maybe scrapped completely? Uh, of
5: Of course, it should be overturned. And if you want to know why there is such a strong fierce drive to vaccinate children, you have to understand how the law works. Under the CARES Act and the PrEP Act, emergency use authorization vaccines are protected from liability. So as long as it's an EUA vaccine, you can't sue them, no matter how reckless their conduct, no matter how grievous your injury, no matter how negligent they are, you cannot sue them. Once it becomes an approved vaccine, that shield that immunity, freedom from immunity disappears. And we will be able to sue them, unless it's a recommended vaccine for children. Because under the Childhood Vaccine Act, any vaccine that is recommended for children automatically receives immunity from liability even when that vaccine is given to an adult so pfizer knows that it cannot afford to give an approved vaccine to any american because people attorneys like me will sue them and bankrupt them overnight we will make them pay for the entire pandemic but if they can get it approved for children. And they'll get immunity from liability, and they will not have to deal with the consequences of their behavior.
0: Well, have you heard that anywhere else? I mean, I'm trying to get the truth out. Trying to get the truth out trying to share with you what's going on um, so that's uh, that's very troubling very troubling. the great Daniel Horowitz, over the blaze says it was just as illogical, immoral, illegal, and inhumane to criminalize human breathing, in 2020 as it is today. Thank you, GOP, for finally coming on board. Now the Democrats are kind of done with it. We can always count on you to fight the issue after the damage was done. Moreover, if they were really serious about fighting the issue, they would join me in pushing for constitutional amendments in each red state, permanently banning all the mandates and discrimination in public accommodation. But are they? But are they? Now, have you been paying attention to this uh, trucker convoy going on in Canada, and do you know what it's about? The truckers in Canada are pushing back against the vaccine mandate. And uh, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, is acting like some kind of a dictator, sending out the Ottawa police to confiscate fuel from the truckers so they freeze overnight. Ottawa police, by the way, are, uh, they're not under any kind of vaccine mandate, but the truckers are. And Trudeau is complaining about how the truckers are hurting the Canadian economy, which is ironic because he's the one hurting the Canadian economy, having people fired for not getting this uh, Dangerous vaccine. So anyway, there are folks up there who are in a bad way now because the police are acting really bad there in Ottawa. And uh, I've got a little clip, and I hope there's no bad language in it. Apparently have places now where they're going to start processing all us terrorists or criminals or whatever Even though it's been the world's, you know largest peaceful gathering. There has been absolutely no violence We have the government on their head right now They are waiting. They're trying to find some way to demonize us. They can't So if you're if you if you see this if this video gets Mm -hmm. to you and we go dark all of a sudden That means they're here rounding us up That means you need to get to ottawa Whatever means you can, you come in peaceful protest. You peaceful and you protest. You come here and you flood the city. I don't give a if the entire country of Canada comes to Ottawa. That's what we're living in right now government tyranny. But that's one of the truckers there in Ottawa, Canada. And the woman who shared it said. I'm curious who else is getting concerned messages from friends in Ottawa about a blackout and extreme police presence resulting in unlawful arrests. I got a few messages back-to-back. and I've seen videos of organizers reaching out. Now, a guy named Jesse Kelly, who is a uh, great talk show host out of Houston, Texas, And he responded to this. And he said, I have a theory of what's coming and why. I have no inside information on this whatsoever, just a theory. Could be all crap, but here goes. The Canadian trucker protest is the first COVID test I can think of with actual teeth. In the entire world. Now, sure, there have been huge street demonstrations in Europe, but nothing that can truly harm the system. Truckers are a different story. When you consider virtually everything around you was on a truck at some point, you realize these are quite possibly the most important people in your country. Not the government, not the doctors, not the military. The truckers make the economy go. Which brings us to Canada. These truckers show up and quickly Justin Trudeau is whisked off somewhere, quote, for his own safety, unquote. Those are all facts. Now here comes my crazy theory. Trudeau is a true globalist. All the Western leaders are now. No loyalty at all to their home countries. Only loyal to each other. Only concerned with increasing their wealth and power. What happened when Trudeau was in hiding? Again, just my theory. I think he had a meeting of some kind with the other powers that be, and I think he was told in no uncertain terms that he must not cave to the trucker protest. Think how significant it would be if Trudeau folded. It would have the possibility of changing Western civilization. If something like that caught on, it's not far-fetched to see truckers end governments. America's government included. There is no way corrupt Western leaders could risk that. This protest must be crushed for all of their sakes. So, and this is the second part of my theory, I think this Canada situation gets extremely ugly from here. Extremely ugly. The police don't have enough men to put this down. The military will have to be brought in. Mass incarceration is coming. So many arrested, they'll need to build camps. But then again, I told you this theory was crazy. What happens to the trucks? It's not just about stopping the honking and getting the trucks out of Ottawa. Those trucks need to start running again. They need to start bringing goods to and fro. Well, who's going to do that? The military? And how could you possibly organize that? You wouldn't know what went where, but I could see a situation where Canada actually starts nationalizing whole industries because of this. I mean, full-blown Maoism. Government would simply keep seizing control of the next level of industry to keep it running. For the public health, of course. Where it goes from there, no idea. But that's my theory, that's all. That's a great uh, talk show host out of Houston, Texas, uh, Jesse Kelly. And I hope he's wrong. Hope he's wrong, but... um, The problem is that his crazy theory makes sense. That's the problem. The police are charging people in Ottawa with aiding mischief just for taking fuel to the truckers. See, the truckers have to uh, keep their trucks running at night so they don't freeze, you know? So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Now, um, I need to tell you the latest what's going on in the U.S. Capitol. But uh, let me uh, me share something with you first. Um, One of the great blessings of doing this show on a national basis, I prayed on and off for years asking God to put me on some kind of a national platform so I could get the truth out about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. care. Um, something that, if I hadn't run into it, by the grace of God, like 15 years ago, I think I'd probably be in a wheelchair by now. And it's called... Upper cervical care has to do with the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or the C1. Let me explain to you how this works. First of all, do you have migraines? Do you have neck pain? Do you have back pain? Do you have vertigo? Okay, now look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my, migra- my migraines and my neck pain and so many other people that I know have also. Here's how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas bone, that C1, to get out of alignment. If it does... Your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, your reproductive system, your circulatory system, even your digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines and neck pain. Again, by obstructing, by restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body the way God designed it to do. Do yourself a favor. If you're in central Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you get see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. Or if you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com and click on the tab that says find a doctor. To see if you can find a doctor near you who can adjust your atlas. And you'll be glad you did. Turnmypoweron.com. By the way, they're having a uh, friends and family uh, get together, kind of a celebration, uh, saying thank you to their patients. Coming up this Monday, Valentine's Day, and I plan to be there after lunch. I plan to be there in the afternoon. All right. <clears throat> One more before we get back to content. Just want to say a word for my friend Justin Minton, M I N T O N, Minton and Benton. Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer. Founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he sure helped me out when I was in two automobile accidents in 2019. Now he's helping me out with the accident in which I was rear-ended in Little Rock, Arkansas, December 17th of 2021. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin Minton's team aims to bring justice to clients who have been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton makes sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt on the job, or you are a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, Justin Minton Law is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton & Benton, at 501-943-4195 if you're in Arkansas and need this kind of legal help. Or visit JustinMintonLaw.com today. All right. That having been said, I wish I could say you're not going to believe this, but you are going to believe this. The great Sean Davis over the Federalist... Has the article, Inspector General opens investigation into U.S. Capitol Police following allegations of spying on members of Congress and staff. You believe this? The Inspector General for the U.S. Capitol Police has opened a formal investigation into whether the law enforcement agency tasked with securing the Capitol has been inappropriately surveilling elected members of Congress, their staff, and visitors to their offices. The opening of the investigation follows news reports and accusations from lawmakers that U.S. Capitol Police has overstepped its bounds as it tries to recover from the January 6th riots that tarnished both the Capitol and the reputation of the law enforcement agency that was supposed to keep it safe. U.S. Capitol Police Chief J. Thomas Menger confirmed the opening of the Inspector General investigation in his response to congressional inquiries about U.S. Capitol Police tactics reported in a January 24th article published by Politico including surveilling and compiling intelligence dossiers on members of Congress, their staff, and visitors. Yeah, but they aren't doing it on Democrat members of Congress. Chief Manger wrote to seven Republican lawmakers, while I'm confident in our methods, I'm asking the U.S. Capitol Police Office of the Inspector General to review U.S. Capitol Police's programs, related to these security assessments, to assure both this committee, the Congress as a whole, and the public, that these processes are legal, necessary, and appropriate. But according to the article in the Politico, U.S. Capitol Police analysts have been directed by Julie Farnham, the acting director of their Intelligence and Interagency Coordination Division, to run background checks on people whom lawmakers planned to meet, including donors and associates. The political, Politico article alleged when staff were listed as attending these meetings, Capitol Police intelligence analysts also got asked to check the social media accounts of the staffers. In his letter to lawmakers, Chief Manger denied the allegations detailed in the Politico article and claimed the U.S. Capitol Police activities were both appropriate and legal. Suspicions that Capitol Police may not be acting appropriately did not arise in a vacuum, however. In November 2021, a U.S. Capitol Police officer entered the Congressional Office of Representative Troy Nels, Republican of Texas, and took a photo of a whiteboard in Congressman Nell's legislative office detailing various legislative plans being considered by the congressman And his staff. In a formal police report filed several days after the incident, the officer wrote that he had been conducting a routine security patrol on Saturday, November 21st, and discovered that one of the doors to Congressman Nell's office was open. The report claimed that the officer entered Nell's office and found a whiteboard that contained what he called suspicious writings mentioning body armor. The officer reportedly took a photo of the whiteboard, which was then passed around to analysts within the U.S. Capitol Police. The following Monday, November 23rd, U.S. Capitol Police dispatched three plain-clothed intelligence officers to Congressman Nell's office and questioned a staffer who was there about the whiteboard and the legislative proposals it contained. Just days before the U.S. Capitol Police officer entered Congressman Nell's office and took a picture of the whiteboard, Nell's and his staff used to brainstorm and catalog legislative ideas. The Washington Post ran a story about a federal government contractor in rural Texas who defrauded the United States by supplying Chinese-made body armor instead of body armor manufactured in the United States. The Washington Post wrote on November 16, 2021, and I quote, From his home in rural Texas, a would-be defense contractor spun a web of fake companies and testing reports to pass off Chinese-made body armor as American equipment that met rigorous standards for use by the State Department and U.S. law enforcement partners in Latin America. 32-year-old Tanner Jackson pleaded guilty Tuesday in Alexandria Federal Court to one count of wire fraud, a felony punishable by up to 20 years in prison, unquote. Now, according to Congressman Nels, who previously served as sheriff of Fort Bend County, Texas, his office whiteboard specifically called out, Faulty Chinese body armor. In fact, that Washington Post article was a key catalyst spurring the congressman to consider drafting legislation banning the procurement of Chinese body armor, according to a spokesman for the congressman. What the Capitol Hill Police Report did not include was any reference to multiple items on Congressman Nell's whiteboard immediately following the words body armor, referencing export administration regulations dealing specifically with Chinese imports or U.S. Department of Justice standards for certifying body armor. In correspondence on the matter with the House Administration Committee, U.S. Capitol Police Chief Manger said the responding officer who investigated Congressman Nell's office was also concerned by, quote, an outline of the Rayburn building with an X marked at the C Street entrance, unquote, drawn on the whiteboard. Again, a spokesman for the congressman told the Federalist it was little more than a crude map to help an intern find an ice machine in the Rayburn House office building. Congressman Nels, again, former law enforcement officer, told the the Federalists, and I quote, if Capitol Police leadership had spent as much time preparing for January 6th as they spent investigating my whiteboard, the January 6th riot never would have happened. When I was a patrol officer responding to a call, I didn't have the time or authority to go rifling through someone's personal papers. There are serious Fourth Amendment constitutional issues at play here, unquote. Although Capitol Hill Police Manger claimed in one email that U.S. Capitol Police agents were concerned the whiteboard may have contained a veiled threat to Congressman Nell's life, U.S. Capitol Police never personally contacted the congressman to warn him that he may have been in danger. The Capitol Police's treatment of the congressman in his office only fueled the fire of suspicion between lawmakers and U.S. Capitol Police leadership that had been smoldering following the January 6th riot. One Republican congressional aide told The Federalist that rather than addressing the massive security intelligence failures by U.S. Capitol Police that allowed the post-election protests to spiral into riots, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi instead doubled down on failure and used the uproar as a pretext for turning the Capitol Police into her own force of political mercenaries. The Congressional aide said instead of fixing the obvious problems with Capitol Security, Pelosi used January sixth as an excuse to create her own personal Praetorian Guard. Comments and recommendations for mandatory background checks on staff by Pelosi's handpicked Capital Security Advisor, retired Army Lieutenant General Russell Honore have also done little to quell suspicions that Pelosi is using the January 6 proceedings to justify increased surveillance of her political enemies in Congress. General Honore told CNN last April, quote, We made recommendations that everyone coming into the Capitol get background checks, the entire congressional staff. All of them, need to get background checks is what we recommended, unquote. Those recommendations found their way into the formal report compiled by the January 6th Response Task Force that General Honoré ran, leading several lawmakers to question the U.S. Capitol Police denial that it's surveilling and profiling members, staff, and visitors. Representative Rodney Davis, Republican, Illinois, top Republican on the Congressional Committee with oversight over the Capitol Police, told the Federalist, There are way too many unanswered questions. Capitol Police have a lot of explaining to do. My main concern is that the entire Capitol Police board structure is dependent on political leadership to make security decisions. Security decisions are being made based on politics, not on real data. I'm not convinced we're in any better security position today than we were on January 6th. Congressman Davis also blamed Pelosi's control of the process for lack of real progress or improvements. Representative Jim Banks, Republican Indiana, echoed Congressman Davis's concerns about the Capitol's security postures. Banks, who is heading up an ad hoc committee of Republicans to make security and proven recommendations, told the Federalists the Capitol is no more prepared today than it was on january sixth. There's a lot of work to do to restore trust in the leadership of the Capitol police. He cited a vote in february twenty twenty one in which more than 90% of rank-and-file U.S. Capitol Police officers said they had no confidence in their department's leadership. I wonder what the deal was with uh, all those suicides, Capitol Police officers. Several committed suicides in the days after January 6, 2021. Anyway, Congressman Banks also blasted Pelosi and said she's using the House's January 6th Commission as a weapon against her political opponents. Well, of course she is. Banks said it's painfully clear that all, to all of us that the sham January 6th Commission is not at all interested in making the Capitol safer or preventing something like January 6th from ever happening again. It's clear that the January 6th Commission is just a witch hunt against the political enemies of Nancy Pelosi. And Liz Cheney. In a statement provided to the Federalist, U.S. Capitol Police categorically denied that it had surveilled lawmakers or their staff and claimed the January 24th political article was incorrect. was inaccurate. A spokesman for the Capitol Police told the Federalist, we do not conduct surveillance on members, their staff, or their offices. The U.S. Capitol Police, does not conduct any insider threats, related surveillance of intelligence gathering on members, staff, or visitors to the Capitol complex. Why should I believe this from guys that uh, shot flashbang grenades and tear gas into crowds of peaceful Trump protesters on January 6, 2021? Anyway, the spokesman said that Chief Manger of the Capitol Police has specifically asked the inspector general to conduct a full review of the agency's operations in light of the allegations of improper profiling and surveillance. Spokesman told the Federalist, the inspector general is independent, so we cannot comment on his behalf, but the chief has requested such a review as he is confident that U.S. Capitol Police security assessments are legal, appropriate, and strictly limited to gathering basic information about events to ensure the safety of members of Congress, unquote. U.S. Capitol Police Inspector General's office did not respond to requests for comment. Yeah. Yeah, I bet they didn't. And I don't believe them. I don't believe them. Again, I've seen video of Capitol Police beating Women. Beating unarmed, defenseless women on January 6th. No, I don't. Uh, I don't buy it for a minute. I absolutely don't buy it for a minute. Now. Now that having been said one of my uh, one of my favorite parts of the program because i get to pick it yeah this is uh this is always good we interrupt this program to bring you a special report it's the Don washburn show tweet of the day Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. Believes in freedom, including the freedom for you to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online and have it delivered to your front door. Now, there's a governor. In Florida, the best governor in the United States of America. A governor who believes in freedom and liberty, unlike the governor of Arkansas, unlike a lot of governors. His name's Ron DeSantis. And he's got a tweet out yesterday evening. It's our tweet of the day. And there's a little video in it. I'm going to play it for you. But first, I want to tell you what the tweet says. Governor Ron DeSantis says, we're working to increase patient protections in Florida. If you're in a hospital or long-term care facility, you have a right to have loved ones visit so individuals can have the human connection they need. And here's what he says.
4: People need their loved ones there. Um, this is this is important part of health. It's important part of a decent society. And so most of the nursing homes and hospitals in Florida have made efforts to do that, Uh, not all of them have done it adequately, so we're looking to enact, uh, effectively, a a patient's bill of rights that just says, you know, if you're in a hospital, a long-term care facility, you have a right to have your loved ones there present with you. And I think that that's going to go a long way because when you have people that are in these difficult situations and the best they can do is FaceTime or something like that, that is wholly inadequate. And one of the things that I think um, has irked me about COVID is when you toss aside every other consideration in society just for this one uh, mitigating this one respiratory virus, which, oh, by the way, um, you know, is airborne and, and a lot of this stuff, you know, the mitigation has been ineffective on. But put that aside, you have to at a minimum balance these different interests. And clearly there are huge, huge interests at stake when you're keeping loved ones out uh, of the hospital or out of these nursing homes. And I can tell you, when when we saw the nursing homes start to have more visitors, the residents, they, they, they were much happier. And, um, you know, we don't want people to be toiling in loneliness. And so I think a lot of places in Florida have done a good job, but I think we're probably going to have to come in and just have a, minimal, uh, a minimum that's required so that we can guarantee that people have the, the human connection that they need.
0: God bless him. God bless him. How many people in this country in the depths of the Wu flu crisis were not allowed to be there with their loved ones in hospital or worse, in hospice? God bless Ron DeSantis. And it's only fitting that today's tweet of the day Brought to you by the car dealership that believes in freedom. RedRiverYourWay.com. Today's tweet of the day is Ron DeSantis saying, Look, people have to be free. People have to be allowed to have their loved ones with them. Now, as a professor at Stanford School of Medicine, he's an MD, PhD, Health policy, infectious diseases, specializes in COVID and all this kind of stuff. One of the guys that tells the truth, not 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 not, not like Fauci. His name is Dr. J. Batacharaya. I hope I got it right. And he was responding to Ron DeSantis and said perhaps the coolest lockdown policy is preventing people from visiting their sick loved ones in hospitals or long term care facilities. Good for Governor Ron DeSantis for making sure this does not happen in Florida. God bless him, and God bless Red River your way for sponsoring today's tweet of the day. I, 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 Mitch Ward and the crew, thank you. God bless you. All right. Whenever the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness comes out with a new article, I have to share it with you. And it's not always good news. But you need to know the truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so here's what she dropped last night. Article entitled, No Shot at a Fair Trial for January 6th Defendants in the Swamp. Subtitled, Biden's Justice Department Relies on the Beltway Trifecta. Partisan federal judges, news outlets, and prospective jurors to codify its punitive prosecution and criminalize political dissent. And here's what she says. Julie Kelly at amgreatness.com. The first set of trials for the hundreds of protesters charged in the Justice Department's sweeping criminal investigation into January 6th begins later this month. Since the Capitol building is considered the scene of the crime, Every trial will be held in the District of Columbia, which means the jury pool will be composed solely of residents living in the nation's capital. To say this is a problem for Trump supporters facing even minor charges is a huge understatement. January 6th defendants already have suffered the wrath of D.C.-based federal judges who have imposed unusually harsh Prison sentences for low-level misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies while routinely berating defendants from the bench. For example, before sentencing a man who pleaded guilty to parading in the Capitol to serve 14 days in prison, D.C. District Judge Ahmet Mehta, an Obama appointee, declared that January six protesters were, quote, told lies, told falsehoods, told our election was stolen when it clearly was not, unquote. The defendant, Judge Meta, claimed, quote, was a pawn in a game directed and played by people who should know better, unquote. Now, the fate of hundreds of January six defendants, is in the hands of biased judges like Judge Mehta and a city populated with government workers who voted nearly forty who voted nearly ninety-four percent for Joe Biden in twenty twenty, prompting some defense attorneys to try to move trials out of Washington. In July, a defense lawyer in one high profile case filed a change of venue motion before Judge Meta that explained why January 6th defendants could not get a fair trial in such a heavily Democrat, politically-obsessed city. David W. Fisher, the attorney representing Thomas Caldwell, charged in the multi-defendant Oath Keepers prosecution, said the level of antipathy towards Trump and his supporters in the district is off the charts and makes it impossible to find an impartial jury. Politicians and the media continue falsely to portray January 6th defendants as racists, Fisher continued, an accusation certain to enrage potential jurors in a city evenly split between black and left-wing whites. He said President Biden, in a speech ironically advertised as intended to heal America's racial divide, referred to January 6th, Trump supporters as thugs, insurrectionists, political extremists, and white supremacists. At his confirmation hearing, Attorney General Merrick Garland pledged to, quote, supervise the prosecution of white supremacists and others who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, unquote. The attorney continued, district residents largely style themselves as chic, sophisticated, worldly, highbrow urbanites, Repulsed by rural America's traditional values, patriotism, religion, gun ownership, and perceived lack of education. Attorney Fisher further noted he has heard other D.C.-based defense attorneys refer to Trump supporters as hillbillies and white trash. Judge Mehta, who has lived in or near Washington almost all of his adult life and clearly blames Donald Trump for what happened in his hometown last January, took umbrage. At Attorney Fisher's description of D.C.'s population as intolerant and hostile to American values, admitting the court may encounter difficulties in seating an impartial jury, Judge Mehta nonetheless insisted that he has, quote, never, not once in my time as a judge or a defense lawyer, thought that the people of the District of Columbia who've served on juries have done anything other than, than the job they've been asked to, which is dispassionately view the evidence without regard to what the conduct is that's alleged and who the defendant is, unquote. Then again, as Judge Meta and other judges routinely observe, January 6th is a precedent-breaking event. He denied the motion to move the trial. Two new surveys, however, prove it will be impossible to find objective jurors in Washington, D.C. Residents clearly have their minds made up about what happened that day. A poll conducted last month by John Zogby on behalf of a January 6th defendant showed 95% of D.C. residents are either very or somewhat familiar with the events of January 6th. The majority received their news about the Capitol protests from national news sources, the same corporate media running a nonstop loop of coverage on the alleged insurrection. Which is why 74% of D.C. residents believe anyone who was inside the Capitol building on January 6th should be convicted of insurrection. 64% believe that even if someone did not commit a crime of violence that day, the defendant should still be held responsible. For other people who did roughly the same percentage think the four-hour disturbance on January 6 posed a dire threat to our nation and our democracy. Defense attorneys for Gabriel Garcia, probably Gabriel Garcia, arrested over a year ago on several nonviolent offenses related to January 6, commissioned the Zogby poll and cited the results in a change of venue motion before Judge Amy Berman Jackson. Garcia's attorneys wrote, and I quote, If Garcia proceeds to trial in Washington, D.C., the jury pool in this case would be comprised of those who voted nearly unanimously against Donald Trump and have been barraged with propaganda about a so-called white nationalist attack and a continuously told their victims of an insurrection, were placed under curfew and locked down as a result of danger posed by so-called domestic violent extremists, unquote. Garcia's attorneys wrote further, noting that Attorney General Merrick Garland, who compares January 6th to the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, approved relocating the bombers trial out of Oklahoma City as lead prosecutor in that case. Zogby's so poll from last month is not an outlier. A separate survey by the Public Defender's Office representing hundreds of January 6 defendants produced similar results for D.C. residents but also surveyed jury-eligible residents in metropolitan Atlanta use as a comparison since the two areas have a similar racial mix. The 2020 vote in Metro Atlanta went 2 to 1 for Biden. In fact, pollsters admit they could not find a district even close to the 93 to 5 Biden margin of victory in Washington D.C. While 76% of D.C. residents considered January 6 an insurrection, only 55% of Atlanta residents would apply the term insurrection to January 6 2021. Also, 84% of D.C. residents have an unfavorable opinion of January six protesters versus 54% of Atlanta residents who hold that view. Most Washington, D.C. residents consider January six protesters conspiracy theorists, 70%, criminals, 62%, and white supremacists, 58%. Percentages significantly higher than respondents in the Atlanta survey. And despite Judge Mehta's indignation at the suggestion the D.C. jurors will be anything but dispassionate and objective, the judge recently said the jury pool for an April trial will need to be roughly twice as large as a typical jury pool, presumably to cast a wider net in the deepest blue city in America in any other situation, requests to move a trial out of a jurisdiction that not only holds deep personal antipathy toward the defendants, but has been blanketed with nonstop negative news coverage about the accused, will be a no-brainer. A jury of peers for January 6th defendants, a constitutional right, clearly is unattainable. But Biden's Justice Department has been reliant on the Beltway trifecta. Partisan federal judges news outlets and prospective jurors to codify its punitive prosecution and criminalize political dissent. Prosecutors undoubtedly will object to relocating January 6th trials anywhere outside the Beltway. How D.C. judges rule on the question will say more about the prejudice of the D.C. judicial system than any poll ever could. I said it before, I'll say it again. We need to continue to pray for the January 6th political prisoners. A lot of people say that uh, the Biden administration is the third Obama term. But in this sense, I think it's the third Woodrow Wilson term. Because Woodrow Wilson had 100,000 political prisoners. And... uh, in 1920, when Warren G. Harding ran for president as a Republican. His slogan was, return to normalcy. We learned that in the eighth grade in American history, but I didn't know what he meant by that until many years later when I read a book called Liberal Fascism. What he meant by that is, if you elect me president, I will set free Wilson's 100,000 political prisoners. A nation that does not learn from its history is doomed to repeat it. And it's no mistake, it's no mistake that our government school system doesn't want, doesn't want our children to know what really happened. Know what I'm saying? So I want to remind you, um, <clears throat> I'm going to be at the Saline County Republican Women's Club meeting this evening at 6 o'clock. And I, I really... Love to have you join me. Um, I'll be introducing my friend, who I believe is going to be our next congressman from Central Arkansas, Colonel Conrad Reynolds. And we're going to be at the Saline County Republican Party headquarters at 6 p.m., it's 125 North Market Street in Benton. And I've noticed, I've noticed we have one Republican running for governor in this state. That's Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And she has endorsed French Hill, who hates President Trump. She has endorsed Senator John Bozeman, who, like French Hill, has blamed President Trump for the violence that occurred at the Capitol on January 6th. And I just wonder, I understand. Oh, oh, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders has also said that Asa Hutchinson has done a good job as governor. This would be the Asa Hutchinson who vetoed the bill to protect children from being sterilized, from being castrated, that A. Hutchinson, and so I just wonder—I don't know—is um, anybody going to challenge Sarah? Because a lot of people were really excited, thinking, "Well, gee, you know, she uh, was President Trump's press secretary; um, she's bound to do a good job as governor." And then we find out she's endorsing these people who stabbed Trump in the back. I'm just wondering, maybe we'll talk about that tonight. Perhaps that will be a topic of conversation. But again, the Saline County Republican Women's Club, and you don't have to be a Republican woman to to come join us. It's open to everybody. 6 p.m. this evening at the Saline County Republican Headquarters, uh, 125 North Market Street. So look forward to seeing you there. Look forward to seeing you there. All right. That having been said, you've been listening to the 83rd episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messi. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the All New Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, Seventh Floor, of the Ephemeral B. Smooth Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the Tenth. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, February 8th, 2022.